the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How would you react if the Bible was just now translated into your language? And then the question to ask before the how of political engagement. What's the purpose of marriage? And later, it's Friday. You know what that means. A top five list. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to have you with us on a Friday. The weekend is here and upon us, which just means more football. There was football on last night. That was like the little sampler, the one gamer. But now we get a full slate of college, a full slate so excited. of NFL. Yes. Oh, Aubrey, it is this here. Is you my are being, time of year. You are being sarcastic, but for the rest of us, we are not. It is time. You're it ready. Is good. This, feels, this feels good. I will say it's time to bring out the fall decorations, and that's basically the same as football starting. So I'm excited. That's the same as football starting. <laughs> sure. But it's I'm, all the same. It's uh, Aubrey, it is my son's birthday this weekend. Mm. Happy birthday yes. to your son. How old is he going to be? Jackson will be uh, 15 years old. And uh, so, yes. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, So anyway, happy birthday to him. His birthday does fall on 9-11. I do want to spend some time later. I do feel like 9-11 is an important thing to reflect upon. Absolutely. And and talk about. So we're going to do that later on in the hour. But Aubrey, here's where I want to start. Remind me. Didn't you and your husband, when you say you spent a year in Africa, wasn't it in Zambia? It was in Zambia. So uh, we were in Indola, Zambia. So I was very excited that you're going to bring up this story about the Bible being translated in some of the tribal languages in Zambia. So it's very, very exciting. But yeah, we lived for We lived in Indola, Zambia for a year in 2000. I always say 2005, but I actually think it was 2004. It's been so long. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, here we loved it there. That's great. Well, here's the headline you're referring to. Zambian Christians rejoice as Bibles are translated into their native tongues for the first time. Christians in Zambia, Africa, are celebrating the latest milestone in Bible translation, the creation of Bibles written in their native tongues. According to CBN News, the effort is led by Wycliffe Associates. Nice. Uh, an organization that offers Bible translations in countless languages. Currently, over 5,000 people are working in Zambia to translate the Bible into 20 separate native languages. Wow. Bishop Henry Mumba, a pastor and church planter, is assisting church-owned translation work in Munsa. He recalled how he heard his first Bible verse, John 3.16, when he was 19 years Mm. old. And so it's going to go on a little bit here, but... Can you help us with the context here? Because, A, I would have expected that a place like Zambia would have been done. But then they're talking about 20 tribal languages. Yeah. Uh, Help us understand the context of what's going on here. Yeah. So Zambia is interesting because English is actually the national language there. Lots of people don't know that. But because it is a nation of various tribes, there's uh, the Bemba tribe is one. That's the people that we were working with. They speak Bemba. 
they're talking about here a, a different tribe, Aoshi. They have a, their language as well. Um, because of that, they're still like old school tribal languages that people speak uh, either formally with like their parents or their in-laws or leaders or informally with their friends. But generally speaking, like in town or in cities, people are speaking English. So we have a Bemba New Testament, but we never found a Bemba like entire Bible. And so this is this is amazing to me that that Wycliffe, after all this time, has finally tapped into all of these tribal languages and is able, you know, able to give the people the Bible in their heart languages. Because in Zambian churches, even if they're speaking English, like you worship in that tribal language. So all of the music, the prayers are still in the heart language of the people. So like we would go to church and we would hear an English sermon, but the worship music was like Bemba. Yeah. And so we learned a little bit of Bemba, not, you know, not very much, but enough to like get by and enough to be able to sing along. But so I, I just think for the Zambian people, how dignifying it will be to be able to read God's word in their own language. And as I mean, there's uh, Christianity is the national religion there. And of course, there's a lot of because it's tribal and because it's Africa, there's still a lot of influence of witchcraft. There's a mm. lot of influence of um you know, syncretism. And so to be able to be like, hey, we're preaching God's word to you about Jesus. And now for those of you who can read or hear, we're going to have you study it, read it in your own language. I just think that's going to be powerful. I, I love it, Wycliffe's commitment to do this. I think that's amazing. So believers in, is it pronounced Mansa, 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 Mansa. Zambia? were reportedly dancing after they got to read and listen to the reading of the mm. New Testament in their native language awesome. for the first time. Uh, this Bishop Henry Mumba said, it's like God is speaking our language. That's awesome. We've never had anything like this before. This makes me, can you imagine, let's just try, let's okay. just try. Can you imagine being in a place where you're a Christian, is that, but then the Bible gets translated into your language for the first time? Like, I can't imagine what that's like because I'm looking around right now. There's Bibles everywhere, right? right? We have right. Bibles. Uh, we have different translations of them. We mm -hmm. have different, all sorts of, praise God for that. We're mm -hmm. very thankful for that. But just try, and you've spent some time over there. You've already done it a little bit first, but what would it be like, do you think, to hold the Bible or hear the Bible for the first time in your native language? You know, I'm I'm thinking about how powerful that would be both for adults and like older Christians who have walked with Jesus their whole life, but only had English Bibles, only heard English Bibles, um, you know, but thinking even about the next generation of Zambians, like kids that are learning in some of the village schools or the tribal schools, they're learning English, but they're also being taught in their own native language. That's what they speak at home. That's what they speak in the neighborhoods. Like that's what they speak around the villages. And so again, for the next generation, Think to be able to know, read, and I would think it would increase your faith and like the believability. Like suddenly you're no longer, it's probably the difference between when the Bible was just in the hands of like high church leaders and then it was, mm -hmm. you know, printed by like Gutenberg for everybody. Like suddenly you're going, oh, this is true. I'm reading this for myself. There's like a new authority. There's a new personality. And, and thinking about God speaking in your own language, how dignifying that is. The closest thing I can, I can think about it, and this is a terrible example, but I think it gives us like a little bit of a, an idea like, 
let's say you love um let's say you love a show or a movie but you've only been able to watch it in subtitles right because it's in another language and mm. then suddenly find out your favorite film director your favorite actor whatever are putting together the english version of that show or movie and you're finally going to see that character come to life uh, in a way that like makes sense to you, you would be so excited. You'd be tweeting about it. You'd be like, you know, setting your alarm clock to watch it as soon as it comes out. And again, that's a very shallow version of what that would mean for like the actual word of God to be uh, translated into your own heart yes. language, you know? Pretty cool. It just has to be unbelievable. And we praise yeah. God for Wycliffe, as you said. Absolutely. Uh, and there are many, many, many more languages out there. Uh, and that's what's amazing. I don't think we as Westerners and Americans can grasp this. Yeah. That there are people groups out there who not only have never heard, but people groups who have heard, who have believed, but who've never had the Bible. And uh, that is just it is, fascinating. It so is wonder- hard for us to grasp that. Can, Brian, before we end, can I share yeah, you one yep. of my favorite Zambian worship songs? I'm not a good singer, but uh, you need to picture me, listeners, with my hands by my head and I'm moving okay. my head and my hands back and forth because that's part of the song is the Zambian people go, Mama, yo, 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 bale sabawe me. And it literally means it blows my mind how good God is. And so they're doing like kind of a mind blown, like, hand motion as oh that's doing. awesome it blows my mind how good god is mama yo 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 vale sabawe me that's awesome yeah well, thank love you that for song. sharing mm-hmm. all right today uh aubrey is september the 9th which means coming up on sunday is september the 11th and for everybody in our country but especially people of a certain age just the name just the words 9-11 or september mm, 11th yeah uh, brings you back and brings you back to a time of that terrible day on September the 11th, 2001, when everything changed. And yeah. it's the first time uh, that we were ever attacked. And uh, I, I guess I want to start with this. First of all, it's really weird that now there are like generations of a generation of adults who don't remember, who weren't yes. alive or yes. they were too young to remember it. Yes, that is uh, wild. You and I, this is the 21st anniversary of 45. So we were 24 when it happened. I was 23 when it happened, but yes. There you it's go. Okay. There you That's go. okay. No, I what talked to you... someone yesterday and he, w- he was like, yeah, I was in seventh grade when it happened. And I was like, what? You were in seventh grade? How is that possible? Yes. So it is wild yes. to think that there's a generation of adults who, young adults who don't, they have no recollection of it. But I think those of us who yeah. were adults, you remember everything from that day everything so tell us what do you remember where were you what's what what do you remember about that day or that week here's what i remember so clearly and it's interesting now to reflect on this 21 years later so at the time it was my first job out of graduation and i worked at the wade center at wheaton college so the wade center for those people who don't know is the um uh the archive for the works of c.s lewis J.R.R. tolkien G.K. Chesterton, Owen Barfield, Dorothy Sayers, The Inklings, and a few others, British yep, Christian yep. writers around that that era of time. And um, I remember driving to work, and I was listening to the radio, and the first news you hear is that a pilot has crashed into one of the World uh, Trade right. Center buildings. And so I think everyone's first instinct was like, oh, well, that either, well, that was a dumb pilot, or like, what a terrible accident. But you're not 
realizing at least initially like, oh, this is an act of terror. This is intentional. And right. Then, and then, of course, the news comes out and you see how how massive this plot was and how devastating it was. But the other thing I remember, I, I remember this going to work that day and you know, everyone's so distracted. You're you're watching the news. We're getting a ton of phone calls at the Wade Center. I don't know if you remember, Brian, but the none of the phone lines were working at the time because so many people right. were making phone calls. And I remember my a coworker and I were like, we should just shut down and go home because everyone's distracted and everyone's very overwhelmed. And our director at the time, his name was Christopher Mitchell. He has since passed away. Mm-hmm. But he said, look, we're not going to go home. Because for Lewis and Tolkien, it was very important uh, to them that Christians in the midst of wartime continue working, continue going about their daily lives as an act of protest against terror. And so he, I was like, no, just let us go home. Like, who cares? But, (laughs) But he was very intentional about, no, we will, we will stay and like do what we need to do today because we will not let terror reign or win. And I, I understand that now 21 years later in a way I didn't then. Like back then yeah. I was like, look, you know, where, this is overwhelming. I need to call my parents. Like, let's go home. But I think I understood now that, though he probably could have given us the day off. Like it, um, it makes sense in a way to not allow evil to rob you of the the day-to-day tasks of life that you need to do. And so it is kind of a like a protest or a stance against yeah. evil to do that. The other thing I remember is at the time I was communicating with an archivist in New York City about a, a something like a Lewis letter or something. And uh, we had been emailing back and forth that week. And I was like, I, I don't know if you'll even get this. I'm so sorry for your city. And he responded right away. And he was like, you don't even know how terrible this is. Please pray for us. And I actually printed out Mm. that email because Mm. I thought to myself, like, history will need this. I don't know why it just felt so I still have it. But anyway, yeah. What do you remember about that day? So I remember I was a youth pastor and my wife was a teacher. So she'd leave before me. And I remember I got up and I took a shower and there was a TV in our bedroom in our old house where we lived in Wheaton. We had no kids at the time. And I remember turning on the TV and at probably about the same time you did and seeing that there was a uh, a plane had gone into the World Trade Center. I, I, Carrie was getting in her car and I, I yelled out to her, turn on the radio. Like, this is what mm, happened. And, it was like, mm. and again, at the time, like nowadays, if this happened, it would be equally as tragic, but we'd immediately think terror. I don't yeah. think people remember that in 2001, normal everyday Americans weren't like, oh, we're under attack. Yeah. Like, but then when that second one hit, it was, oh my gosh, this is like a like a like a movie I've seen, but never thought we'd ever experience. Yeah. Uh, strangely, me and another guy from our church were supposed to go to a golf outing that day uh, down in downtown Chicago for oh, a ministry that our church supported. And the supported. city closed it down, right? In the city. Wow. And so like, uh, you know, on uh, outskirts where there's like a nine hole golf course. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And so I called them and we were like, I guess we still go. Like mm-hmm. we still got to support this ministry. And so we drove down the Eisenhower and ne- just listening to the radio as everything's unfolding. Mm. I, ended up, I ended up not watching most of it. I ended up listening to most of it. Yeah. And you would look at the cars next to you and you would just see people weeping. In uh, the cars. People were uh, just weeping. And then Aubrey, it was so weird. We played a golf outing 
Oh, you and did. Everybody knew this was going on. Mm. And there was, we were not that far from the airport. And th- I'll never forget there. My, my friend being like, do you notice that there's just not a plane in the sky? Mm. Just, and it was like really weird. Came home that day. And I remember also a sense of wanting to be with my wife. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, definitely. You're wanting to be with family. And then I've shared this story on here before. My parents ended up calling, uh, to make a long story short, there was actually a good family friend of ours oh, who right. lived in New Jersey but had moved to California, happened to be in business, and ended up uh, dying in the World Trade Center. Oh, so and there sad, being Brian. this like personal nature of it, like, oh, my yeah. gosh. And yeah. so it was – I just remember it being over overwhelming and there being this – people talk about this often – this unity that came out of it that yeah. was clearly short-lived. Obviously, yeah. look where we are now. Right. But it really did change who we are as individuals and as Americans, right? Yeah. I mean, I you know, I can remember like you just saying you wanted to be with uh you with Carrie. Like Kevin and I like had a sleepover in our living room that that evening, but just watching the news. But we also like I don't know why we had an American flag. We hung it outside, and so did yeah. so many people. Everybody. Right. And I think that is like if if we're if we're moving uh, uh, to like reflections on now, I think that is a devastating reality that um, I mean, it, this isn't a great like he, hear me say what I'm about to say, knowing it's not the perfect um, uh, equal situation, but even something like the insurrection. Right. So terrible. Uh, happening on our own land for different reasons, but like just a horrific thing. The country like was so divided there. And part of the division is what led to that. Right. And, and no one was sort of being like gathering together saying you can't break America's heart. Instead, we were like spitting vitriol on one another and still Mm -hmm. are. And I, I do think there is something to lament about that. Like that was a time when, we were united and we, we understood that it was like us against a common enemy and wherever you stood politically, whatever you thought about Bush's leadership at the time, whatever, wherever you were, like, I think we all understood like this atrocious, devastating thing has happened. Right. We need each other. We need each other's support. We need to show love and support to the people of New York city and the other places that were hit. And, and as a nation, we felt it, we carried it together and I just feel like we've we've really lost that. And I don't know if it's because a generation has passed. I don't know if it's just time does what it does. Um, but yeah. that certainly is a is a sadness. It's something to to lament and regret. I think is that we don't have that that That's sense right. of unity that we once did. That's right. I'll never forget that. Remember, like a first day or two afterwards, it was like. You're glued to your TV, and then it was like everyone's going to go out and light a candle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you looked and you saw your neighbors doing it. And yeah. So Mm -hmm. such a heartbreak. I'll never forget. And the other weird thing about that was like, we are not to, not to something that big, but we are kind of immune to like major tragedies now. Yeah. Yeah. Back then we were not. I'll never forget just watching it and just being like, I, I literally can't get my mind around what's happening. Yeah. We're in Chicago, right? Like you, right. you said, people living in New York, like what must that have been like right. or who lost loved ones? So uh, mm. take some time to remember, right? Mm-hmm. We all, when it happened 21 years ago, none of us ever thought we'd have to be reminded to remember, but we as humans yeah. forget. And yeah. so spend some time this weekend remembering 
And, uh, you know, I think we'll be better people for it. The anniversary, 21 years ago, the awful days of 9-11. We commemorate them this weekend. Football season is here upon us. Woohoo! Yes, your, your, uh, your fake excitement. Can't wait! I love your it! Fake, your fake ex- I'm sure your husband would be glad for you to go to another room and watch a, another Marvel th- something. Yeah, or he's happy for me to do that. I do, I do try to at least, like, venture in and watch the Bears with him every once in a while. I'll wear a Bears shirt when they're playing. Like, I try to, I try to show him some love, but I just don't care. I'm sorry. Uh, Not sorry. So every now and then, one year, when we were earlier in marriage, Carrie was like, I'm going to try to watch football with you. Like, I'm yeah. going to try to learn yeah. football. Yeah. And about a week in, I said to her, I really love and appreciate you for trying, but we don't need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, and she was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> my, my, my poor dad. My dad is kind of a, my dad's kind of an old school southern guy okay love him love him dearly but he's got some ideas in his head like you know he doesn't think like he thinks women should wear hats to church like you know he's that kind of guy and which my sister and i just laugh at like but one of his things is he's like there's nothing more attractive than a woman who likes football that's why i'm in love with your mom and he like he seriously like laments that my sister and i don't watch sports like it it comes up constantly like i can't believe you girls turned out the way you did and we just laugh we just think it's so funny but yeah <laughs> my mom my mom and my dad are massive sports fans they watch all the games together and my that's mom's great. more of a rowdy fan than than anybody like my mom whistles at the tv with like the two finger whistle in her mouth you know what i mean she's yelling at refs like it's pretty fun to watch my mom watch football oh that's fun yeah well, she's excited for this weekend yeah then. she's excited uh, here we go. You and I, a couple weeks ago, maybe a week or two ago, did the Mount Rushmore of uh, of America's pastors. <laughs> America's pastors, yeah. And I felt like there were at least two that we agreed very deeply on. Rick Warren. Yep. And Dr. Tony Evans. And Dr. Tony Evans, that's right. After that, I think I went Max Lucado and uh, Chuck Swindoll. Right. And I, I'm still undecided. I think you and Andy Stanley, maybe, no. and uh, and Mark Driscoll, I believe no. you did. <laughs> Yep, you got it. Yep, that's who I, I think. No, I, I think you I'm you went t- Mark Driscoll and Joel Osteen, I believe. <laughs> this is why I can't I can't get my last two. I agree with you on Rick Warren and Tony Evans. It's because I desperately want there to be a woman. I want to put Beth Moore on there, but we decided she needs like the person needs to be pastoring a church. Like Correct. that has to be so I so maybe Sarah Jakes Roberts, like I'm throwing her around because she passes the church. I don't know. I'm not I'm not there yet, Brian. I need I need somebody else. I'm not there yet. So this might say more about me. Like I don't think this is a male female thing. I literally don't know who Sarah Jakes Roberts is. You don't know who Sarah Jakes Roberts is? Boy, no, you need Google to be listening to her servants because they are powerful. She's the daughter of T D Jakes. And uh, her, she and her husband uh, lead a church, although she's one of the churches is a little controversial because they decided to go only online after COVID. So I got some questions about that. I don't agree with that, like in my mind, but she can preach the word of God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not letting anyone who's gone only virtual be upon my Mount no, Rushmore. I know, I know. I, I, that's why she's not on. The, I don't, I, so I'm not ready yet, Brian. But anyway, we have something from one of the pastors we agree with that you actually want to share. <laughs> Dr. Tony Evans said this. People say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. 
You also don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Wow. Dang. I love that. Tony I Evans. love that. Help people yeah, unpack good. why that's such a good word from Tony. Man, Evans. This is why we nominated him as America's pastor. Uh, you know, I, because I, I think why it's so important is because we do, people often say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And they use that as an excuse not to go to church. And then what we see in those people is then they start like literally just like losing their faith, losing their passion for Jesus. Lose, and, you know, there's questions theologically, can you lose your faith? But what I mean is like, they're not living on purpose for Christ. They're not a Christian community. They're not growing a Christ likeness. You're not seeing the fruit of the spirit. And, and in the same way that like you wouldn't marry someone and then just avoid them to say you're committed to Jesus and avoid the very like body and uh, community that when you come to Christ, you're a part of is just like kind of ludicrous, frankly. And Mm -hmm. I do, I do sometimes get frustrated with people separating this. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because it's not, we've gotten church messed up then because church is not just about like you going to a building. It's a body of believers. And the call to Christians is that we're in community. It's ours as a communal faith. It is, it is an individual decision, but it's not private. And so I think that's like, we, we just, we emphasize the wrong things. I think when people make this like split, I think it's an unfair dichotomy to split Jesus and the church. It's a total misunderstanding of what the church is and what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. I I think that one thing that I appreciate about um, this is he, he owns the fact that you don't have to go to church to be saved. Yeah. Right. That's right. That, you know, most pastors would be like, nope, it's part of it, or yeah. it's a big sign. He yeah. says, no, you don't. And then I could see him just laughing and saying mm-hmm. this. Like, it's ludicrous, as you said, to think that I can then go to my wife and be like, I love you. I'm yep. married to you. Yep. But I'm never going to spend any time with you. <laughs> right. I'm never coming right. home. Right. His point being, if you want to be a growing Christian, if you want to uh, – you know, get past sin. If you want to understand the faith, if you want this, you got to be a part of a church Yeah, and they they get messy. They're not always easy, Uh, but he's a hundred percent correct. And uh, I think, well, Aubrey, let's end by talking to somebody out there who's not a part of a church. Like, nope, me, Jesus in my Bible. I'm good. Yeah. Help them understand what they're missing. Yeah, I I mean I you know I I can understand that there are seasons where you you might want to step back and and you need some time alone, but I think ultimately what you're missing is the fact that the Christian life is meant to be done in community, and that's that's the value of just friendship. That's uh, not being isolated, not being self absorbed. It's also encouraging one another, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. It's I mean, there's so many of those like one another's in scripture, right? Forgive one another, love one another, spur each one, spur one another on. Um, and so often in Christianity, we really do borrow each other's faith. Like if I'm mm. going through a difficult time, I might borrow Brian's faith. Like yeah, like. Oh, uh, okay. He's doing, he's staying faithful to Jesus. He's not going through a hard time. I'm going to just like, 
I'm going to borrow Brian's faith until like mine is back. And we do, we just need each other. And I think it is detrimental to our spirits, to our souls, into our walk with Jesus to assume that we can just do it all alone. Cause that's not how God created us to do it. Like, and right. ultimately because God himself is, God is one. But what we know theologically is that God is also Trinitarian. God in itself mm. is as one is also somehow a community. It's a mystery that I don't understand. But if we want to be like Jesus, we will be in relationship with other Christians. Amen. Amen. It's a good word. Get to church this weekend. It matters to be a part, not just get to it. Join one. Yeah. Be, be deeply immersed and connected into one. What is the purpose of marriage? Uh, how would you how would you attempt to answer that so that's a man that's a difficult question i i would want to talk biblically and say that the purpose of marriage is to give us a picture of christ and his church mm. right like that's that's the imagery that's given to us but then on a human terms i think the purpose of marriage is a couple things i think it's companionship mhm uh, it's understanding love and self-sacrifice. Yep. Yep. I think it's um, it's reproductive. It's it's having babies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, you know, populating the earth. I think it's fun. Like I don't think yeah. I, we can ha- talk about marriage apart from the fun. But I yeah. think so. Those are some of the things I think. You know, on a spiritual level, we want to talk about Jesus and the church and the right. picture that it gives us. On a on a human level, I want to talk about just companionship. Yeah, and I want friendship. to talk about mm-hmm. friendship, and I want to talk about deep covenant bond that lasts mm. a lifetime. Yeah, that's oh, that's good. That's a good answer, Brian. Well done. Uh, well, Thank you. our fr- our friend Tim Challies, he's a Canadian theologian, I guess, Canadian blogger, author, uh, Christian, all of it. Guy. One of the first Christian bloggers, though. Oh, I always forget that, that he kind of put Christian blogging on the map. I think he was at least one of like the first like ones that people follow. Yeah. Like, okay. And and part of his story is he lost, a, a, was it a college-age son, like quite right unexpectedly? About, right about to graduate, engaged. The kid was like the kid. He was like 20, 21 years old, and mm. he, uh, he unexpectedly, he wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't an accident. He just died. He just died, right. Yeah. And so a lot of what Tim Challies writes about is finding God in the middle of darkness, right? Finding God in the middle of seasons of sorrow. And what we always like to say about Tim Challies and other people like him is there is a, there's a gravitas it kind of a respect commanded when you've walked through something so dark and you're still like being faithful to God. And so mm. I think he, like he has sort of earned the right to say whatever he wants to say in my mind, because he has yeah. been through so much heartache, but yeah. continued to stay faithful to God. Well, at his blog last week, every once in a while, what he does is he puts together something called a la carte, where he just like gathers either old articles he's written or articles he likes from around the internet and he shares them. And he Mm. actually reposted something on marriage from 2017. So this was a few years ago, but I think so helpful for us today. And he asked the question I just asked you, Brian, what's the purpose of marriage? He's, he talks about different views, okay? And he talks about how, look, there are uh, multitudes of worldviews about marriage, but most perspectives can be summarized under two headings. The first is, in Western culture, marriage is a contract. In this view, marriage is a contract between two autonomous individuals, and it's usually a means of fulfillment or self-advancement of some kind. And as such, when it no longer provides fulfillment or self-advancement, 
advancement. When it becomes inconvenient, it can end. So marriage, quote unquote, mm-hmm. works as long as it benefits the two individuals. Okay. And of course, contract language sounds a little bit perfunctory. Like there can be love, there can be attraction, that kind of thing. But generally speaking, we've seen this point of view in the West. Two individuals fall in love, decide to get married. As soon as it stops working, it's over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then a, another point of view, he says, is marriage a sacrament. He says this is the view that dominated Western culture uh, while Western culture was under the control of the Roman Catholic Church. And he talks about uh, you know, marriage as a sacrament, part of the divine life. And he talks about how... Um, Both of these views, the contract view and the sacrament view, are compelling because they contain elements of the truth. He says that marriage is meant to provide mutual comfort to husband and wife. Solomon makes that clear in Ecclesiastes. Enjoy life with the wife you love. Um, And how uh, scripture also talks about in Proverbs, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. But then he also talks about how, um, you know, the, the contract can the contract can be uh, truthful as well. Okay, so there's both, right? Sacrament, contract, truth in both of those. But what's interesting is he dives a little deeper and he says, what does the Bible say about marriage? Um, and so before he goes into that, which I want to unpack, Brian, one of the things that he quotes is something that I think you and I have quoted on the show before. You hear this a lot. And I... I have mixed feelings about this quote. It's very famous for Christians, a quote from Gary Thomas. He's kind of a Christian marriage guru. Uh, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And uh, Tim Challey is going to unpack that when he talks about what the Bible says about marriage. But before we dive into Challey's words, what what are your thoughts on Gary Thomas's question. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? Yeah. What was that book? Sacred marriage, right? Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I get it. I I think it's helpful in a way. Uh, I'm going to end up at the why not both. Yeah. Yes. My, my, my problem with that quote has always been that it, it unnecessarily paints marriage as something that's not happy. And I know Mm -hmm. that's not because he says, what if it's more? So he's not saying, He's not holding the two against each other. It's just when people unpack it, it's what yeah. they do to it. Yeah, hey, totally. you're just in it to you're just in it for fun. Well, guess what? Marriage is fun. Yeah. Marriage is my wife. My life would be worse off if I wasn't married to my wife. Yeah. Right? Like I would yeah. enjoy life less. Uh, but he is right. Like God didn't give us marriage simply for our enjoyment. Like that isn't the pinnacle of marriage. And so. Right. I've never liked the quote for that reason, even mm-hmm. though I think there's truth to it. Yeah, and and I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I've never liked the quote either because it it I it does it just makes you think like okay, well, marriage is just going to be terrible, but like I got to be holy. So I'm in, and, yeah. and I don't think that was Gary Thomas's point, like you said. But I do think why that kind of understanding matters if marriage is about more than making us happy is that when the hard days come. When there are days in marriage when you're not happy, and there will be, that's just the reality of two people being married to one another, that Mm -hmm. those days and those seasons come. When you have a vision of holiness, you have God's vision for a marriage, that gives you the strength to stay, right? Mm. Like, because if you just leave the moment you feel unhappy and it's no longer quote unquote working, well, then like your marriage is going to be over pretty quickly. But if you can, uh, if you can grasp, like, what if marriage is about more than my own happiness, but it's about God creating something in me and doing something in the world, um, 
that gives you the strength you need to keep going till you get to the happy season again, right? Oh, um, absolutely. And so what Tim Challies goes on to say about the Bible is, though marriage provides many wonderful benefits, including mutual comfort, godly offspring, sexual fulfillment, and means of avoiding sexual sin, these are not its highest purpose. Marriage is not a man-made institution primarily for man's benefit, but rather a God-made institution primarily for God's glory. He says the highest purpose of marriage is to display to the world the sacrificial love of Christ for his bride, the church. And then he goes on to say this. So what's the purpose of marriage? There are many proposed answers, but they're essentially divided by this key question. Is marriage an institution created by man or by God? Gary Thomas mm. says the key question is this. Will we approach marriage from a God-centered view or a man-centered view? And a man-centered view will maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, desires, and expectations are met. But in God-centered, we preserve it because it brings glory to God. And I... I like that. I think that's ultimately like if you're a married person or maybe you're doing premarital counseling with someone or you're thinking about getting married, that's the posture that you need to enter marriage yeah. with. Like ideally yeah. you do love and find comfort and enjoyment and fun with that person, but ultimately your marriage is part of something bigger that God is doing in the world, showing yes. the world a picture of the love of Jesus. And if you can understand that your marriage has that like vision and power and goodness behind it, that will give you the strength you need to like get through the hard seasons. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Kind of knowing the why I think really, really yeah. matters. Because it's Friday, we get to do one of our favorite things to do each and every week. That is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. And here's what we wanted to do. We wanted to honor and commemorate the city of New York City since it's the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And so we thought we would do top five things we love about New York City. Now, Brian, you're a New Jersey boy. So you've I got am. a lot more NYC uh, interaction love. than I yes. have. So I feel like your list is going to be longer than mine. But I love New York. I've been several times and I think it is a fantastic city. So two thi one thing about that is, yes, I grew up 45 minutes an hour, yeah, depending on traffic, an hour yeah. plus outside of New York City, the straight yeah. west of it uh, in New Jersey. But here's the weird thing. You've been to New York City. It's super mm -hmm. difficult to get into. So, yes, I do have a love yep. for New York City. Yeah. Um, I did not grow up going in there a lot. It's not like getting into yeah. Chicago. Okay, gotcha. Uh, it's very different. So mine would probably have a little bit of a touristy feel, less than yeah. yours probably, but it's not yeah. like it's not like I grew up going to this trendy neighborhood right, or going to this right, restaurant. Right. It just didn't that's not how it works. So Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, do you want to start as kind of our resident closest thing to New Yorker that we have? I would love to. Okay. Uh for number five, and then I do have some honorable mentions when we're done here. Mm -hmm. Uh number five, I'm gonna go with so stay with me here. Yep. Uh, later on in my honorable mentions, you're going to hear this, but we used to go visit the big Christmas tree every year, the Rockefeller Center. And what I remember is always, this is going to sound really random, those carts and always getting a, a street like big hot pretzel. Ooh, nice. And they're, they're, nice. Every, they're everywhere in the city. Yeah. Yeah. They are big and they yeah. smell amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're all over the city. There's also the carts with like hot dogs and stuff. Uh -huh. But uh -huh. those pretzels, like that was better than going and seeing, in my mind, even going and seeing the tree. 
It was like awesome. you can like you can like taste it right now as you're thinking about oh, it. Oh, it was tasted it. different than any kind of pretzel you get anywhere else for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like that one. Mine is actually a uh, very very close. My number five. You said it. Mine is the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. Like I love nice. New York at Christmas, and that tree is pretty unbelievable. And the lights and the ice skating, and it's just very like quintessential New York in my mind. It's in so many movies and just featured in it? a lot of places. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, you've gone good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. See. Yeah. Th- there you go. So, th- so that's my number five. All right. What's your number four? Uh, speaking of touristy, like you joke that mine might not be very touristy. Yeah. I'm going to go as touristy almost as you can here. Okay. Time Times Square. Oh, I didn't put that on there, although I put something kind of close to Times Square. Just Interesting. The, yeah. When you haven't been in the city, I know people who live in New York hate Times Square. Yeah. But when you're a tourist, now I live in the Midwest, right? I The only time I go to New York City is like with my family when we're right, visiting. Right, right. Times Square feels so energetic and otherworldly. Like it's so over the top and it is so, so lit up. And so yeah. that like my kids, they'll be like, I remember them being little, little and there's this huge Disney store, Lego store, whatever. And they're like, yeah, oh the big M&M so, store down there. Yeah, it's very overwhelming. Yeah. And you could see where the ball drops on New uh-huh. Year's, all of that. So Times Square. Times Square. See, that makes me completely not a regular New Yorker right Yeah, there. I like that, though. I feel like that that needs to be on the list somehow. Okay, my number four is a little like I'm I'm going to have to unpack it a little bit. Because there are several places in New York, like uh, Serendipity 2 is one of those places that's like been featured in rom-coms. There's uh, <laughs> like the Upper East Side, like certain hot dog places that have been featured yep. in rom-coms. Or there's like a lot of the the artists or the musicians or the poets I like are talking about different places in New York. So I don't even know how to like bundle all of that. But one of my favorite things about New York, I guess, is just the inspiration for like movies, songs, books I like, poets I like. So whatever, like the the artist inspiration of New York, whatever that is, that's my number four. Okay. I, I think I get it. I get where you're coming from. In fact, yeah. my honorable mention is going to have something surprisingly close to that. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, number, what are we on? Number three? Yeah. Number three. I have a feeling this is going to, some variation of this is going to show up on yours later. Okay. Uh, Broadway. So yeah, that's on my list for sure. Just the concept of Broadway. I grew up, my mom was a French teacher every year. She was, when I was like in junior high and high school, or maybe when I was just in high school, she would take a group to go see Les Mis. So I've seen Les Mis like three or four times on Broadway. I took took Carrie to see Les Mis on Broadway. Wow. Uh, But it's just cool. Like that whole section of town, the artsy kind of um, theater area. It's just pretty cool. Yep. It's pretty awesome. The great white way. As they there say. you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is very touristy of me. And I know probably real New Yorkers will be like, well, well, what do you mean by this? Like, this is broken up into several areas. But I'm just going to be very a non-New Yorker and say, I love Central Park. Like, mm-hmm. I think it is so cool that, like, in the middle of the most cosmopolitan city in the world, there's, like, green right? And you can exercise, you can walk, there's water, there's statues, you can play. Like, I think Central Park is one of the coolest things about New York City itself. I agree. Uh, And then you get in it and you're like, this is bigger than most cities. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number two for me, and I will go to my grave fighting this one with whoever in Chicago wants to fight this battle. Okay. Uh, Number two for me is New York style pizza. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Give me a slice from an East Coast New York pizzeria over the deep dish stuff of out here 
every any time. day of the week. Yes. That is interesting because it is pretty controversial because deep dish is pretty good. But do you like that it's foldable or that it's greasy or flat? All or like, of it. What's your – All, all of, it. of it. Okay. All of it. And I love yeah. the taste more. Don't get me wrong. I like deep dish pizza. Yeah. I yeah. like Chicago pizza. I'm not like, oh, New York pizza is the mm-hmm. best and Chicago is terrible. Mm-hmm. I just think New York style pizza is better. Yeah. And uh, when I go back to the East Coast, I do all I can because I grew up on it. So you take it for granted. Now right. when I go back, it's just different. I've heard people say it's the same reason why New York bagels are so good. Something about the water that's used in like dough making is part of why like New Yorkers like it so much. So that's interesting. Uh, I've never heard that. It yeah. could be New York style pizza is just different, right? Like you said, it's flat. Yeah. It's greasy. It's big. Yeah. Um, you know, you eat it like this entire plate. It's wonderful. Yep. That's a good one. New York style pizza. Okay. I'll say it in my number two and then we'll do some honorable mentions. That's right. I'm going to go with St. Patrick's Cathedral. It oh. is so beautiful and you don't see a lot of places like that in America, especially. I feel like that's more of like in Europe. And so I, I just think having that right smack dab in the middle of the city is pretty remarkable. So I'm going to go with okay. that as my number okay. two. All right, couple honorable mentions for me. Yep. You just added one because I thought you were about to say something different. I'm going to add my, this wasn't on my honorable mention list. The th- the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, that's a good one. Love yeah. now getting up yeah. and watching the parade. I do too. Uh, here, I'll put one that actually goes along with what you said before about rom coms, but it's different. Uh-huh. A lot of my favorite sitcoms are based in New York City. Seinfeld, Friends, Everybody yep. Loves Raymond, yep. all of them. Yep. Uh, I mentioned the Rockefeller Christmas tree. So we mentioned that one yep. already. Yep. Uh, transportation. So mm-hmm. the ferry, you could take a ferry, you could take mm-hmm. a subway, mm-hmm. you could take a double decker bus. Yeah, like, that's true. Fun ways there's to that, get around the city, especially if you're that- touristy. There's that like Skyliner thing over that one area. I can't think of what it's called, but there's like one place in the city where you city where you can get on like a Skyliner oh, and like I don't know that. In the sky there. Yeah, I can't Perfect. think of what that's called right now. And my last honorable mention, and this just is an ode to my childhood and where I grew up. I like the New, the New York City suburbs of New Jersey. Oh, look at you! Good job, Brian. Well there done. There you go. Yeah, there you well go. done. Okay. What are your honorable mentions? Mine are – I also threw in the – after you said it, the Macy's uh, parade because I love that parade. And I have since I was a little girl. So that's a good one. And then uh, this this feels a little bad being on my honorable mentions and not on my main list. But I'm going to throw in the Statue of Liberty because it's Lady Liberty, Ellis Island. And then the last one, this also comes from some of the rom-coms I watched, although I've been to this store several times and I think it's cool. I like Zabar's. I like that you can go in and get cool cheeses and wines and bagels and like unique things that you can't get can't get everywhere else. That feels very like New York staple to me too. So I I like Zabar's. All right, Aubrey, controversial take. Let's be honest. Statue of Liberty is kind of boring. I know. I agree. It's the whole experience is a little bit boring. I you know I feel like still you got to have her on the list because she's so iconic. But yeah, it's it's a little like okay, saw that. Enough. Don't need to see it again. And not on my list is uh, the 9-11 Museum. I would love to. I've just never been there. I look forward to the yeah, day of going. I've never been there. I saw we were at, we were in New York right after 9-11. And so I saw the like um, the gates with all yeah, of the like, animals and letters and notes. That was powerful. 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 But I haven't seen the museum either. So I'm sure that's incredible. All right, Brian, let's go to our number ones. Why don't I go first and you can end it. You can wrap us up. I'll bring it home. The, the New York guy. Because yours uh, will be different than mine, I promise. Yeah, definitely. And people might have already guessed it by now but my number one is broadway i have always loved broadway i love i've on my 21st birthday my parents took me to four broadway shows 
like it, like I, I'm a big Broadway fan. So I, I love just the whole, just the whole theater district in New York city is pretty incredible. Uh, I agree. I agree. And I, I fully expected that to be your number one. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yes. What's your number one? I think I know what your number one is. Should I uh, guess or should we? Sure. Take a guess. I think yours is the New York Mets. And the New York Giants. That is correct. And the New York Giants. Yeah. My two yeah. favorite teams in the world, the Mets in baseball, the Giants in football, uh, they will forever be my favorite team no matter how long I'm not living in New York City area. Uh, they will <laughs> so be my loyal. kids' favorite team. Uh, yeah. I have kept them to this day. In fact, my fandom for them is probably higher now that I don't live there. Uh, But yes, you cursed correctly. I went with a combo of the New York Mets and the New York Giants. Let's go Mets. I can't wait till you're an old grandpa and you got all your like Mets gear on. I feel like that version of Brian is going to be one of my favorite versions I wear it now. I'll wear it then. I'll wear it all the time. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right. Well, those are the top five things we love about New York City. New York City, we are thinking about you this weekend as you commemorate 9-11. Let us know anything that you think we should have added to our list on our social media at Common Good talk it's the end of the week moving into hopefully an amazing fall weekend and uh, we love to leave you with something challenging inspiring or something to put a smile on your face at the end of every show and over at church leaders brian they have uh this headline i want to read it to you instead of playing sunday morning critic try these eight b attitudes b dash attitudes okay so okay i see what they're doing here yeah you see what they're doing they're playing on the b attitudes right so um they talk about the scrutiny let me just read this because it's actually really really well done uh okay so here's how they propose this imagine when you show up for work tomorrow you're immediately directed to the human resources office. Not a fun way to start your day. Turns out you're not in trouble, but the HR team is meeting with every new employee to inform them of a new practice that will be implemented the following Monday. As it turns out, the company is switching to a new practice of doing an employee review with every employee every Monday morning. That's right. Instead of your boss conducting a job review with you just once or twice each year, starting on Monday, you'll go through an employee review where your work is scrutinized by your boss every single Monday morning throughout the calendar year. Okay. What, how, uh, you, how would you like to have an employer who practice such intense scrutiny of your work? Most people, they say, would probably dislike a practice to the degree that they would probably change jobs in an attempt to avoid such smothering criticism. Here's where the article gets interesting, Brian. They say, welcome to the world of pastors. <laughs> Basically, every Monday, pastors hear from those who are critiquing their sermon, critiquing the Sunday service, critiquing or at least something feel about it, the right? church, or at least feel it. I don't know that it's true every Monday. I think there's probably a lot of Sundays that pastors get. That was an awesome sermon. Thank you so much. Really well done. Really appreciate you. Or they don't get any type of comment which you can assume is good people are satisfied but i would say the monday morning pastors a lot of pastors say they feel like quitting on monday morning that's right that's right it can be kind of the the depressant the depressive day after sunday the funny saying is always don't quit your pastor job on monday because everybody wants to and it's there's some truth to that because either you've gotten critique Mm-hmm. Or there's just the self like, oh, I didn't hear any good feedback or yeah, oh, I didn't yeah. uh, or, oh, I, I should have, uh, you know, oh, I didn't say exactly what I wanted to yesterday or, oh, church felt dead, whatever yeah. else it might be. And so 
Uh, yeah, don't ever quit your job on Monday. That's don't true. quit your job on Monday. Wait, wait until Tuesday. Or as I have a friend who was a pastor for like 50 years, and he said he actually would quit every Monday, but then he'd start again on Tuesday. So maybe, <laughs> maybe some not pastors actually quit. Yeah, not actually quit, but like take Monday off, pretend you're not a pastor, then dive back in on Tuesday. Okay, so that, this article is written for people who are part of a church, just kind of wanting them to recognize that pastors, church leaders, um, you know, uh, they experience job reviews 52 Mondays a year. And uh, <laughs> yes. they say, instead of playing Sunday morning critic, try replacing that negative role with these eight B attitudes. The first one is this, be grateful. They say, believe it or not, it's not your role to sit in the pew or padded chair every Sunday morning and critique the preacher sermon. It's your responsibility to learn from it. Mm. I, Brian, I kind of struggle with this one when I visit other churches. Like, I think you and I oh, have said gosh. this before. I can be kind of a jerk. Like I can be like, Ooh, I wouldn't have said it that way. Or, Ooh, I would have done this instead. Or, and it's not like I'm a better in any way, no, shape or form, no. a better communicator at all. But I think this is the, like sort of the downfall of being a Bible teacher is you just yes. think like, I, it's bad. Like it's not humble, but yet it's normal. But yes, I'm yeah. exactly that way. I have a really hard time listening to other people speak. Cause your whole time you're going, what would I've done with this passage? Yeah, I've often right? wondered I wonder if it'll be the same way if and when we are not pastors. Like if oh, there's ever a day, yeah. if there's ever a day I'm doing something else than professional pastoral ministry, yeah. yeah, and I, you know, become a part of a church and go, I'd like to think that at that point I could engage. Yeah, uh, but as a pastor, when I hear other people. No, I, I don't do well with it at all. The hard part is I actually love learning from other pastors. And so there are some situations like conferences or whatever, where I'm like, oh, that was so good. Like I needed that message or I'm listening to a sermon online. I needed that. But there are other times when like my little inner brat comes out. I have this, <laughs> I have this friend, we were taking a preaching class together and we went to visit a church. This was out in the Newport beach area, pretty like quote unquote famous church. And, um, the sermon was a, a moment where you were kind of like, I, I probably would have done this differently than this guy did, you know, but my friend leaned over and she was like, I'm going to be such a jerk after taking this class. Like, I don't know if I can sit under any sermons ever again. <laughs> That's a problem. So when your education so is leading true. you not to learn from other people. Yep. But okay. Yep. So, so don't do what Brian and I are doing. Be grateful. The next B he says is be refreshed and encouraged. Instead mm. of placing everything from the quality of greeting you received to the content of the church bulletin that morning under your critical review, use the opportunity to gather for corporate worship with the family of God as a chance to refresh yourself spiritually from life's routines and be encouraged yeah. by your spiritual family. That's interesting. That's far more enjoyable than perching yourself on a pew for an hour of critiquing. Be yeah. discipled yeah. is the next one. Every Sunday is an opportunity to learn not just from the preaching and teaching, but from other examples, testimonies, fellowship from a church leaders, fellow brothers and sisters, be discipled instead of being a critic, be challenged is the next one. Uh, be engaged is another one. Be an mm. encourager, they say. So instead of being the Sunday morning critiquer, be the encourager and then be a contributor. If you gather with God's family every week and you never come with something to give, you'll fall into the role of critiquing everyone else, starting with your yeah. pastor. I think that's a really good one. And then be a servant. I feel like this is sort of the heart of all of this. A critic is always analyzing uh, for what they're getting from something instead of showing up at church with an attitude like that. Come yeah. to serve others. What, what stood out to you there? 
I love the one about being a contributor, right? Like I'm yeah. part of this church family. I haven't come here to listen to the man or woman up high. I haven't yeah. come here for the uh, the concert. I haven't come here uh, to be quote unquote fed yeah. and then critique whether they fed me well. Uh, I have come here to be part of a family. Mm. And as a part of a family, I play a role. And so that's also the be contributor, but also be a servant. Like, how am I contributing? Like, first, this is the old speck in the eye, log in the eye. Like, critique first about how you're doing yeah. before you critique other people. Like, you know, if your pastor is just mailing it in or not doing a good job, yeah, bring it up to people. Right. Like, figure right. it out. But, but am I just critiquing? Like, nobody mm. wants to just be a critic. Nobody wants to be around you if you're just a critic. Yeah. Like no church is perfect. Yeah. Uh, but it's a family. It's a community. Yeah. Be part of the community and invest in it. And you're going to get more out of it then, but then you're also going to be used by God to add to it. Mm, and so, you know, good. my church, my church included is set up in rows where you're facing a stage. Like in many ways we set this up to be passive. Yeah. But that's kind of true. Yeah, but there's nothing about being at a church that's meant to be passive. Yeah, uh, and so I'd I'd remember that. Yep, I think I think that's I think that's really good, and I think even for me, sometimes as church leaders, it it can be it can be easy to be critics ourselves of our own churches, of our mm-hmm. own ministry, or of others. And so I think this is a good posture posture for everybody that called to be grateful remembering that God has adopted us into his family and the opportunity to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ really is a privilege. And so to be grateful for it, I think is a, is a good word for all of us, Mm -hmm. especially as we're going into the weekend, find a church to go to on this Sunday morning and practice gratefulness while you're there. All right. Well, we will be back again on Monday. We hope you have an incredible weekend. We'll be back from four to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.